0: about peter and after my hair distraction last week i want you to know i went out and bought super strength aquanet which if you think about it's a lot like liquid concrete and i thought you know you could do some home repairs with this stuff if you have wallpaper falling down you can spray that stuff anyway and i put a clip up so i'm set (laughs) We're going to look at the issue of worldly pride today because I think we all wrestle with it. And I shared this morning with uh, teachers that it's not even so much that we are prideful all the time. There are things in our lives where pride rises up and we become aware of it. We wrestle with it. Peter wrestled with it. The disciples wrestled with it. Shelley talked about the sons of thunder. They wrestled with it, wanting to be closest to Jesus in the most prominent position one day. And we need to be reminded that pride has no place in the kingdom of God. This is for us to remember so that we know if he says, come follow me, We cannot be prideful people and follow a Savior who described himself in Matthew as meek and humble. It's the world that trains us to be prideful. And it's really sad, but the commercials, the things we read, the people we're around, the people that are promoted are often prideful people. And so it's really good to get in God's Word and be reminded that is not the way of my Savior. And I want to follow Him. And so I'm going to work on, let God work on, because we have to do it in His strength, these areas of pride in my life. And I also wanted to leave today reminded of the great compassion of Jesus on these issues in our lives. And that there is nothing we can do that will permanently disqualify him from using us. Praise God for that. I read about this entertainment company. They have a marketing idea for a theme ride. It'd be one of those virtual reality things where you have a ride and it's called Ego Trip, a ride about you. <laughs> and you bring your you know, your license and so they take a picture of that and you speak somewhere so they've got your voice and they've got an image of you and then they make a ride for you and the paparazzi come out and they're snapping photos of you and you see your face in the artwork of Van Gogh, Picasso, you have fans calling your name, you attend a rally and they all turn to you and ask you to be president. They're all so excited. You win all these athletic events, and at the end there's a ticker tape parade, and there you are waving, and everybody's excited and clapping. And then when the ride's over, they actually have gift items in the gift store with your image on it. And they asked the president of this entertainment group, why would you be trying to sell this ride? And he said, Because everyone's favorite subject is themselves. And that is true. So let me know if you guys ever see that ride making it out there. We are the foundation of pride. If pride is, uh, if humility is built on the foundation of focusing on God and focusing on others, then the foundation of pride is built by focusing on moi. So at the top of your outline, write this little sentence. I meant to put it in there. Pride is to indulge in self-esteem. Pride is to indulge in self-esteem. Last week we got to look at some of the wonderful things about Peter, that he was a leader, that he was passionate, that he loved Jesus, that he had remarkable faith. We also looked at some of the immature things about Peter, that he was often impulsive, spontaneous, headstrong, and sometimes had a weak faith. And we love it that knowing all those things about Peter, Jesus looks at him and loves him like he is and gives him the name Rock because that's what he would become as Jesus chiseled on him. He would become a rock for the cause of Christ. And today we're going to look at one great big chisel in Peter's life because Jesus has to humble him. He has to chisel out the pride that's lurking there inside Peter's heart. And he does this because, you know, if you ever around people with pride or you wrestle with it, it's real obvious the evidence of pride to those of us around someone who's prideful. But the prideful person has a hard time seeing that pride. So Jesus is going to make sure Peter sees that pride and comes to him and is changed. He will be under the masterful hand of the masterful sculptor, and he will become that rock. I just finished reading a book about Michelangelo and how he would take these big slabs of marble, it was so interesting how he would touch them and read them, and he had to take them out into the sunlight to try to figure out what he can create from this big piece of marble. And even when they were flawed, even when there were stains running through the veins, even when they weren't perfect, in the hands of a master sculptor, he could create these incredible masterpieces, like the David, which was made with an imperfect piece of marvel, like the piatta, which is in Italy, and um, I was excited because we have this casting of the piatta, which means the pity, and it is a big sculpture in Florence, Italy, that Michelangelo did, and it's... Mary holding Jesus when he has come down from the cross. Now, a few years ago, some guy came and whacked the head off of Mary, so now you can't get too close to her. But before they fixed it, they made some castings of her head, and someone has donated to Christ Chapel this casting of Mary as she's looking down at her son as he comes down from the cross. I have a whole story about that. We got to see this this summer, which was the most wonderful experience. And uh, I got so caught up in it that when I looked, my tour group was gone. And I was by myself in the Vatican, which is where this is. And you wear these little earphones to hear your tour guide. They talk, and they've got this mic on. And I turn around, and, and my group is gone. And I'm wandering for 30 minutes in the Vatican, filled with millions of people. And I can hear this... Turgis saying, Linna, Linna, where are you? (laughs) Where are you? And I thought, I will never find him. I'm lost in the Vatican. I wanted to put this up here today because it fits with this story. In the hands of the master sculptor, every day we are becoming women of beauty, more and more and more, and we will be until the day we get to be with him forever. So I want us to look at this while, while I get to talk today, and remember, I'm being sculpted. I'm becoming more and more beautiful every day in the hands of God. It's the last night Jesus is going to spend with the 12 men that he loves. He has washed their feet He has broken bread and passed out wine as a symbol of his sacrifice he's about to make. He has become troubled in spirit and told them, one of you will betray me. And then with the suffering of the cross just before him, he gets the disciples together in this upper room and they sing a hymn before they walk out. Into the darkness. They sang the great Hallel or the great Hallelujah. And it's Psalms 113 to 118. We got to uh, take some people from Christ Chapel to Israel a couple times. And we were in a room that some people believe is the upper room. It was a big stone room with stone floors. And our little group started singing, Uh, I think it was Great Is I Faithfulness. And, of course, there's other groups in there. It was a pretty big room, really, and uh, windows up high, stone around them. And all of a sudden, this other group starts singing, but, but they're from Holland. So they're singing that song in a different language. And then another group from another country starts singing that song. And in the upper room, we have this mixture of praise in all different languages, being sung to God. It was the neatest thing. And we were immediately all connected and united, even though we didn't sing in the same language. Jesus sang in that room with his disciples. Even though he was about to go to the cross, he could sing in peace words like this, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. This is what Jesus sang with his disciples. And as they took a step off that stone floor, and stepped out into the dark hills of Jerusalem. They headed towards the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, and then Jesus has to speak some very painful words. Look at Matthew 26 with me. Matthew 26, verse 31, Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now, these words were painful for Jesus to speak. These words were even more painful for the disciples to hear. They have spent three years with this man. He is the consolation of Israel. He is the glory of Israel. He is the redemption of Jerusalem. They walked on those stony paths with him. They watched the miracles. They listened to his teaching. They have loved him. He has loved them. But I love it that Jesus right away wants to give them words of assurance. Look at verse 32. He says, But after I've risen... I will go ahead of you into Galilee. We will fellowship again. I will rise. I will go before you into Galilee. And I love it because Jesus knows these guys are about to abandon him. Instead of spending his last moments with him, with them, rebuking them, he wants to give them hope and he wants to give them encouragement. It seems like they don't listen much to these encouraging words because they're pretty well stuck on the first thing he said. All of you will scatter from me. And they don't believe it. They don't believe they could ever abandon Jesus. And when we see Peter's words of protest, we see an evidence of pride. He has love, he has determination, but he is boastful. And that's on your outline He's boastful of his loyalty. Look at verse 33. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. We talked this morning about that expression, never say never. Last week, we looked at the fact that Peter said never all the time. Never will you suffer. Never will you wash my feet. Never will I be found lacking courage and faith. And he boasts right in front of his friends, even if all of them do. I never will. His self-confidence is leaning on arrogance. And if we read the other Gospels, we see that he boasts of his allegiance all the way from prison to death. On your outline, if we want to follow him today, we boast only in the work And the wonders of God. You read those verses in your homework. We boast about the cross. We boast about the spirit. We boast about God's work through saints. And we can even boast about God's work in us without boasting about us. We boast about God. Psalm 44, 8 on your verse sheet. And God, we've boasted all day long. And we will give thanks to your name forever. And here's a lesson Peter learned. We're going to look at lessons Peter learned, and I think a lot of them were learned with these stories we're going to look at today. Look at the next verse. Peter wrote this, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Not exactly a picture that we get right here. He's being chiseled for God. Another evidence we see of pride lurking is insensitivity to others. On your outline, insensitivity. I wonder how the disciples felt when Peter used them as an illustration of people who probably will abandon you, but I will not. It reminded me of that parable of the man who goes in to pray, the legalistic man, and says, I just thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not like him. I'm doing well. Now, the other disciples, they did claim they wouldn't abandon Jesus either. But I don't think they stated it like Peter did. And I'm not even sure that Peter didn't help kind of be the ringleader to get them to begin to boast themselves. Being insensitive to others goes hand in hand with pride. Indulging in self-esteem means you're hurting someone else's. Look at Proverbs 13.10. Through pride comes nothing but strife. I read about this woman who was on a sightseeing tour in Washington, D.C., and there's a busload of people and the driver's pointing out all these interesting things, and he says, there's the Pentagon. That cost a few million dollars, took them about a year and a half to build, and this elderly lady in the back raised her hand and said, in Peoria, we could have built that for less and a lot faster. The guy kind of shrugged, and they kept driving. He comes along, and he says, this is the Justice Building. This cost $2 million. It took about two years to build. In Peoria, I think we could have built that a lot cheaper and much quicker. the driver looks around. So he keeps driving. Well, they get to the Washington Monument, and the bus driver slows way down, drives around it, then just heads out of town. And the lady says, hey, What was that white building back there? He says, I don't know, lady. It wasn't there yesterday. (laughs) Her boasting, her insensitivity, her pride was hurting his feelings. On your outline, if we want to follow him, we choose words and actions that will encourage the body of Christ. Look at 1 Thessalonians. Encourage one another. Build up one another. 1 Corinthians. Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. And look at what Peter's learned. To sum up, all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Isn't that great to see where he has gone? On your outline, another thing we see here in evidence of pride is self-trust. Trusting in ourselves. Peter was overconfident about Peter. He thought, I could probably accomplish any task I set my mind to. He thought he knew more than Jesus. He was stronger than Jesus knew. He would prove that Jesus was wrong. One theologian says this, and I love this. We will only be safe when we replace our confidence that boasts with a humility which knows its weakness and seeks the help of Christ. When I am weak, then I am strong. If we want to follow him on your outline, we don't depend on our strength. We depend on our strong Savior. Galatians 2. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 1 Corinthians, the weakness of God is stronger than men. Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And one day Peter would say, After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. After the disciples debate this prediction, Jesus takes Peter and James and John. He takes them into the Garden of Gethsemane, which means oil press, where Christ is about to be pressed to the extreme for us. They are in the moonlight. Jesus' soul is in anguish. And he asks his three friends, watch and pray. And he goes away because it's the most critical hour of his earthly life. And he asks his friends to be his support at that time. He pleads with them. He says this, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Watch with me. Be with me. And as he faces that cruel cross, he goes to his three friends three times, and every time, They're asleep. In fact, Mark tells us in his in his gospel, one of the times Jesus said, Simon, are you sleeping? You, the one who's been boasting, even you're sleeping? Is this a picture of the men that will never abandon him? Under the olive trees that night, in the moonlight, asleep, is a picture of the men. Who've already abandoned Jesus. He is soon arrested and he's taken away. Turn with me to Luke 22, Luke 22, verse 54. Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. Now that sort of jumped out to me. I think that's a warning for us. Peter followed at a distance. When our steps are prideful steps, when we don't walk under the grace and strength of our Savior, we cannot walk next to him. We are distanced from Jesus. And I think we can look at that story, and it makes a whole lot of sense. When our steps are dictated by pride, we cannot be next to him. On your outline, distance is one of the results of pride. If we're not humble, we can't be next to our humble Savior. James 4 tells us this. Submit to God, then draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. On your outline, that we could follow him, we acknowledge our neediness, so we might draw near to him who meets our needs. Peter has yet to really see his neediness. In fact, in Matthew, it tells us Peter follows Jesus at a distance here because he was curious of the outcome of the night wasn't so much that he thought, man, I need him. He was wanting to see what's going to happen. That kind of a follower can never get close to Jesus. Look at verse 55. When they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else came and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. On your outline, defiance is another result of pride. Prideful people do not want to be proven wrong and we see this in Peter right here. I've told some of my friends this story about a teacher I had in fifth grade because I think it's funny now that I'm a grown-up. We had these Iowa basic skills tests, you guys remember those? I don't know if they do those anymore. And we took this test, and for some reason, we would pass those booklets out afterwards and grade them. We'd grade each other's paper. And there was this one question, and I'd gotten it wrong. And I thought, I don't think that's wrong. And so I waited till school was over, and I went up to my fifth grade teacher, who really was a great teacher. She had a prideful moment. And she said, it's wrong. And I said, Okay. So I thought about it, and I took the address off the front of this thing for the, I I was going to write the Iowa people, whoever they were, and I wrote my question down, and I wrote the answers down, and I wrote what my teacher wrote, and I sent that thing in and kind of forgot about it. Lo and behold, they write me back. They say, your answer is correct. Go tell your teacher. I'm like, fun. This will be fun to do. I was kind of indulging in a little self-esteem. So I go to my teacher, and I wait until there's a moment when we're all doing homework, and everyone's quiet, and I go up to the desk, and I hand her the letter, and she reads the letter, and she looks at me, and she stands up, and she makes me read the letter to the class, and then she says, Now, all of you that had that question right will get it wrong. And I remember thinking, I don't care. just bothers you that I was right and you were wrong even in fifth grade I sort of figured that out she is defiant at that moment because it was not a good feeling to think I was proven wrong in this manner Peter is defiant here we talked last week about how Peter was defiant when they took Jesus out of the garden how he grabbed a sword and he chopped off that servant's ear and Jesus rebuked him even then, saying, you are trying to alter the plans of God. If we read this story in the other Gospels, we get even more details. so let me fill you in. First, they took Jesus to the high priest named Annas. John, the disciple, knew Annas, so he got to go into the courtyard. Peter had to stand outside at the gate. John talked to the people that mattered, And a girl at the gate lets Peter come in. It was cold. So there was a fire. And there were officials standing around the fire. And there were probably lots of people around the fire that had been part of the arrest of Jesus. A scary place for Peter to be. And we can admire his courage here. But as he sits or stands by the fire... A servant girl, probably the one who led him in the gate from another gospel, looks at the firelight flickering on Peter's face and looks at him and says, "This, This man was with him. Woman I don't know him. First denial. And then the gospels tell us Peter stood up and kind of made his way away from the fire towards the gate. He's standing there. And another girl comes up to him and says, You are one of them. You were with that Jesus of Nazareth. I don't know the man, and he gives an oath about it. Second denial. Finally, the people begin to notice Peter has a Galilean accent. Now you want to think to yourself, Why was Peter talking? Why not keep your mouth shut? <laughs> I don't think Peter could. Now, we know he had to answer these accusations, but I think he just kept talking. What he was saying, I'm not sure. They hated the Galilean accent. In the synagogues, if you had a Galilean accent, you were not allowed to speak a blessing. It was very distinctive. And then, of all Peter's bad luck, guess who shows up there and is staring at Peter? the relative of the slave who had his ear cut off. And he looks for a while at Peter and says, didn't I see you in the olive grove? And that is when Peter becomes defiant and he curses and he swears and he says, I don't know what you're talking about because when pride is backed into a corner, pride gets defiant. Peter's defiance grew each time. First, he sort of was doing evasion. Then he tries to create an oath as if he's going to promise. And then he has to just be passionate and defy with verbal abuse. And I thought, you know, that's a great pattern for us to remember. That's what we do. First, we try to evade it. We try to ignore it. Then we try to defend it. And then we just get really mad if we don't go to Jesus with it. And as Peter stood defiantly in his corner, he heard the worst sound he'd ever heard in his whole life, a rooster crowing. On your outline, if we want to follow him, we lay down our selfish ways because we know we have a higher calling. We put others first. I think Peter learned that. Look on your verse sheet, 1 Peter 3.9. Later, Peter will say, Don't return evil for evil or insult for insult. Isn't that great that he wrote that? I love it. But give a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. And then he says, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. After the distance that pride places us between us and God and the defiance that comes when we hang on to our pride, then comes the final result of pride, the despair that comes when our pride is exposed. Look at Proverbs 11 on your sheet. When pride comes, then comes dishonor, a man's pride will bring him low. Look at verse 61. The rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, and Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. Peter could not become a rock until he realized how weak he was in his own flesh. And one look from Jesus, and that became obvious to him. Because when Jesus looks at us, when we give Jesus the opportunity to look deep into our hearts. Only he can expose the sins that are hidden there so deep we have no idea that they are there. And when Peter looked into the eyes of Jesus, he saw a braggart. He saw pride. He saw and remembered the prediction that Jesus had made of him. And his heart was pierced with the truth of how weak a person he really was. And I like it that Jesus turned and looked at him because Jesus was being purposeful here. He didn't just glance over at Peter. He was looking in the soul of Peter for Peter's sake. That's when despair and weeping is a good thing. And we can say right here that the lowest point in Peter's life was the beginning of a walk of incredible faith. It was a new start for Peter, this low point. Look at James 4. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Look what Peter wrote later. Now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith even though tested by fire, which he knew all about that, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that we might follow him on your outline. We ask God to look deep into our hearts, to turn and look at us and expose the sin that lives within our hearts. Look at Psalm 139. We say, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Christ has a plan for us. We think, I've messed up. I've got so much baggage from my past, I'm going to just glide through the rest of my life holding these bags, and just trying to fake it. Just trying to hang out with people that maybe God does love. And God's plan is all about you. On your outline, it's compassion. That awful moment that happened to Peter was the last moment he would look into Jesus' face before the cross. Probably Peter denied him between 3 and 4 a.m., and by 9 a.m., Jesus would have gone through six trials and been hanging on a cross. They had to do the trials at night because they were illegal. They had to get false witnesses. They had to do it in a hurry. When he died at 3 p.m., Peter's heart died too. His hopes of the Redeemer of Israel died. The hopes he had in his friend and his teacher died on the cross. And I think the look of Jesus in the courtyard would be always upon him. I wish we could have been there the first time Peter was reunited with Jesus. Here's what we do know. When he heard his tomb was empty, he ran to it. We know that an angel told Mary, go and tell the disciples and Peter that he is alive. Talk about the compassion of Jesus. That they even <laughs> mention Peter's name separately? We know he came to the disciples, and we know that at some point Jesus came alone to Peter. I think that was a holy moment. For Peter, his friend, his last thing was to abandon him, was to look at him when the rooster crowed. And Jesus comes to meet with him alone because he's compassionate to Peter. I want to look at the third appearance to the disciples because it's a story for us today. Seven of the disciples, they've seen Jesus some. They don't know what to do next. They're on the Sea of Galilee. Let's go back and do what we've always done. Peter says, I'll go fishing. They all say, we'll go fishing. We'll fish with you, Peter. So they're out there fishing. They're restless. They fish all night long. They catch nothing. And I think that's a picture of the fact that their life is not going to be what it used to be. They're not going to be fishing for fish anymore. And then Jesus comes to them. Remember we talked last week. He's always coming. They abandon him, and he's coming to them. J. Oswald Sanders says this. I love it. No failure need be final. When God has saved and apprehended a man or a woman, he pursues them with great perseverance for the sole purpose of blessing him. He will turn the tables on the devil by lifting us out of the scrap heap and creating a more fruitful ministry out of our very defeats. He always honors faith, however feeble and trembling. On your outline, we believe nothing can separate us from the love of God, even when we've abandoned him. It's early in the morning. It's misty. They've been out there all night. They've caught nothing. They see a stranger watching them on the shore. Now, he tells them, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And they do it. And they could not even bring the nets in because they're so filled with fish. Now, we remember this story before when Peter was first called, when Jesus said the same thing to him, cast your nets there. And the nets broke as they tried to pull their fish in. I think the fact that the nets didn't break here is a picture of the fact this is what you'll be doing. You will be bringing men and women and people into my kingdom, and I'm going to be doing the work. The nets will not break. You can trust me. John remembers that time of the nets, and he looks at Peter and says, It's the Lord the mention of his name, Peter jumps into the water and starts swimming to shore. He doesn't know he is swimming toward his own commissioning. He doesn't know he is swimming toward a compassion that is so deep that it will cover the three denials that have been put into his heart. They will be covered. Look at John 21 with me. John 21, verse 15, they've just finished eating breakfast with Jesus. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. On your outline, this is the commissioned, commissioning time. Peter denied Jesus around a fire, and so now Jesus takes him back to a fire. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus gives him the opportunity to confess his love to him three times. Peter denied Jesus publicly. Jesus now gives him the opportunity to proclaim his loyalty publicly and here's why jesus was god's plan to establish that early i'm sorry peter was one of the disciples who would help establish the early church and they would need to trust him what a horrible thing to go around there's peter remember he's that guy he he, remember he denied jesus three times yes should we let him help us here Publicly, Jesus wants to show the disciples, I'm reinstating my man, the rock, Peter. Peter, the disciple, I believe, had already been restored to Jesus one-on-one before this meeting. But Peter, the apostle, would need to be restored publicly. J. Oswald Sanders says, God knows no unfinished task. The Christian experience is filled with evidence of the tenacity and the tireless patience of God's love. This task of commissioning Peter for the work before him was now at hand, brought about by the tenacity and the tireless patience of the love of God. Did you notice that Jesus calls Peter Simon, son of John? He is not yet the rock that he needs to be. So Jesus questions Peter's love for him. And here's why. How in the world can Peter love the sheep in the church if he doesn't love the shepherd? So Jesus wants to be assured of his love for him. First question, do you truly love me more than all these? And he probably takes his hand and does this around the fire. And he might have been making him remember how Peter said, even if all of these run away, I will not do it. Jesus says, do you agape me? This is the highest form of love, sacrificial, devoted, and deep. And Peter replies, you know that I phileo you. I love you. It's not quite as high a love. It's an earnest love. It's a love that seeks return. It's an affectionate love. So Jesus says again to you, truly agape love me. And Peter replies, you know that I phileo love you. And the third time Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo love me? And Peter is grieved. Now there's two ways to look at this. Some theologians say there's significance in the different ways you say love in these verses. Some think it's overdone, so you might want to research that on your own. If it is significance, this is what it would be. Peter responds to Jesus' questions of agape love with a little bit of a lower love because that's all he can do so far. That's as much as he has within him to do. And if that's the case, when Peter Jesus asked him the third time, do you even really phileo love me? That's what would grieve Peter, that he would doubt even this lesser kind of love that he really loves Jesus enough. If we look at these words, and they're not significant, like some people believe, because God used both phileo and agape when he talked about his love for his son, interchanged them. Then I thought, what would make Peter so sad then the third time? And it's pretty obvious. It would remind him of the third time that he denied who Jesus was. One of those times, Jesus would realize from him that Peter needed to understand how much he really did love him. He is sitting at the fire With Jesus, looking in his eyes, and he's grieved that Jesus would ask him this a third time. What is Peter to do once he demonstrates that love to Jesus? Feed my lambs. Possibly these are new believers, hungry for truth. Feed them. Take care of my sheep. Growing believers, be like a shepherd to them. Feed my sheep the third time. Some people believe that word is really sheeplings which would be between a lamb and a grown sheep, tend to those people as well. And I love this picture that Jesus leaves Peter with because he knows what it feels like to be a lost sheep. But now he knows where to go when he's lost. Look at First Peter 5. Peter said, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then he says this, For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. And that is exactly what Peter did. And never did Peter, never could he dream of the plans that Jesus had for him. Never would he be disqualified. On your outline, to follow him today, we expect that in the hands of a holy God, even we can accomplish holy purposes. Father, we thank you for this time, and we want to just praise you for your compassion and your pursuit of us. May we rejoice throughout this day and give you glory in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, Lan. That was awesome I just have a couple of things to remind you of before we leave for lunch today the first one is next week don't forget is your small group leaders lunch and your leader should have shared with you a plan today what you're going to do next week if you're uncertain of what that is you may want to get with her before you leave today or perhaps call her this week so you know what your group is doing it's a great opportunity uh, before we head into the holidays to just have one more time to fellowship with each other and build those relationships and then secondly if you came with a burden on your heart today that you would like some prayer for every week after bible study our prayer committee meets right down here by the uh, baptistry to pray for you so please feel free to come forward any thursday and be prayed for we'll see you next week thanks lady